Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning and welcome to The Grove and for week four of a sermon series that we have been in called Faith Works. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking through and working through the book of James. And the book of James is written to help Christians navigate life. Very simply, it is instruction and guidance and encouragement about how to navigate and make it through some of the most difficult and trying moments that we find ourselves in as people of faith. You see, we all know that being a person of faith is far more difficult than just checking a box as to what you believe. It requires more than that. There's more obstacles. There's more things that we have to circumvent and navigate and get around and work through and deal with as people of faith. It is not all rainbows and sunshine and butterflies. And so James writes a letter, both for Christians at the, at the time that he was writing and for us today, about ways that we can do this better, about guidance for our lives. It's very practical advice to how to navigate being a person of faith. And James's goal for each of us is really simple. He says to us that Christianity isn't to be this thing that we put on in particular moments. It's not to be this thing that we wear at particular times or during an hour on Sunday morning or around certain people in certain environments. James tells us that Christianity is something that should inform every part of our lives, every aspect, Every category, every moment, every thought, every decision, every word, every action, the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, the people that we choose to spend our life with. James says that our faith should inform all of these things. It's not enough just to be a partial Christian in certain areas or categories of our life. James wants us to be a fully and wholly integrated person of faith. And so over the last several weeks, we have been looking at some of the different categories and the different areas that James gives us guidance and instruction on um, that prove to be particularly difficult, particularly challenging uh, for people of faith. And in week one, we looked at how we navigate suffering and adversity when life gets really hard. James tells us that it should be an occasion for joy, recognizing that when life gets really difficult, it is a moment to lean into and to trust in God more. And then in week two, James talked about how if we are truly to be people of faith, it should result in practical action. It should result in the way that we live our lives and the choices that we make and the way that we demonstrate our faith each and every moment in the ways that we act in the world. And so we celebrated that by Serve Sunday where we boxed up a bunch of Thanksgiving meal kits, over 130 that we have sent to families in need here in the Dallas area. And so I'm so excited that all of our work is going to be opened and going to be shared and eaten and created into beautiful Thanksgiving meals this week in over 130 families here in the Dallas area. And James says simply that's what it means to be a person whose faith is alive, who is, whose faith is a living, breathing, active thing. And then last week we talked about how important our words are, the power that our words have, the power that our words have over life and death, that we can speak life and we can speak death into our relationships, into our circumstances, into the people that we interact with in the world. And so we talked through what it meant to pay attention to our tone and our tenor and our timing of our words and how we could use our words as occasions to give life in the same way that God gives life to us. And so this morning, we're going to look at another category of our lives that James is trying to help us navigate. And it's this occasion when life becomes chaotic. 
Now, James is going to kind of talk to us about the moments when life becomes chaotic, particularly in our relationships, and that's primarily because we are social creatures. But what James is offering us in this moment is that anytime life feels too chaotic, life feels out of control, life feels like you're in the midst of a war or a fight or a battle and you're not really sure how you're going to get your way out of it or it just all feels too much, James gives us an antidote to this chaos. An antidote that helps us understand maybe the proper balance, the proper order of things, how we should organize our inner life to reflect and manifest in our outer life. And so without much setup, we're just going to jump right into what James says this morning in the fourth chapter, helping us learn how to navigate the chaos that we find ourselves in. So here's what James says. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, listen, friends. What is the source of chaos among you? Where does the chaos that you find yourself in, where does this chaos come from? What is the source of your quarrels? What is the source of your fighting? What is the source of your arguments, your disagreements, the battles that you find yourselves in interpersonally? Where does all of that come from? James is asking this question. Now clearly he asks this because he's about to tell us the answer. He says, all of this chaos, all of this quarreling, all of this fighting, doesn't it come from your cravings that are at war in your own life? Doesn't it come from your cravings that are at war in your own life? This word cravings could also be translated as passions, desires, wants. James is saying that there's a direct connection between your outer life and your inner life. What James is trying to help us recognize is that anytime you find yourself in some type of outer chaos, some type of outer quarreling, outer fighting, outer battling, some war amongst people that you know, it probably reflects similarly what's happening inside of your heart. He says it's because there are some cravings, there's something going on in the human heart. There's something going on in your desires, something that's going on in your passions, and they're at war with each other. And so your inner life reflects your outer life, and your outer life reflects your inner life. And what James tells us, he says, our, our, the chaos that we find, it comes from our cravings and from trying to get what we want. He goes on in verse 2, he says, you long for something, but you don't have it. There's some desire in you, you are searching for, seeking for, hoping for, wishing for something in your life, and you don't have it. And that conflict and that chaos begins to bubble up into your outer life. And he says, you long for something you don't have. And because you don't have it and yet you long for it, you do something about it. And he says, in this instance, you commit murder. Now, I don't think he's particularly talking to a specific group of murderers in this context. But I think he's just using hyperbole to let us know that we will go to extreme lengths to try to get the things that we want. That we will go to extreme measures to try to satisfy the desires and the cravings and the longings of our human heart. We'll even do things that we shouldn't do. He goes on, he says, you are jealous for something you can't get, and so you struggle and you fight. He says, in any of the chaos that you find yourselves in in your outer life, any of the chaos that maybe you're participating in, any of the chaos that you're creating or engaged in in the moment, the solution, the issue isn't maybe the circumstances of your life, the other people in your life, the problem isn't specifically other people or them or the things that are going on. James is saying, you have to turn and look inward. You have to turn and look into your human heart to recognize the battle, the war that's being raged in here. 
In a sense, James is saying that what's going on inside of the human heart is like this game Rock'em Sock'em. He's saying there are things that are battling and doing war in your life and they're contending for, for victory and supremacy in your life. You want things that you can't have them and so you'll go and do things to get them because you want them. And all of this is going on all the time inside of our hearts. And so it could be a whole host of things. Maybe there's some type of... Uh, significance that we're longing for in life. We want people to recognize us, to notice us, to affirm us. We have these feelings of inferiority and insufficiency, and so we go to these great lengths to prove to everybody else how wonderful we are, but in the process, maybe we step on people and we get into arguments because we're trying to climb over people to become noteworthy and notable so people give us the attention that we're longing for. James is saying all of that conflict, all of that chaos, all of the gross stuff that happens in your life, it's a result of the gross stuff that's happening in the human heart. I think a simple example for this, just in my own life, is there's a direct connection in my life between the cleanliness of my house, the organization of my home, and the state of my heart and mind. So what do I mean by this? Uh, when my house is messy, it means that my heart and mind is messy. It means that there's a lot going on up here. There's a lot going on in here. Because when my inner life is chaotic, my outer life becomes chaotic. Now, before I get a bunch of emails from people who have different life circumstances than me, maybe they have three kids under the age of five, and you're like, yeah, of course, that, you know, your issue is that your home isn't clean. If you had my circumstances, your home would never be clean. I'm not saying this is a general thing that applies to everybody. I'm just saying for me. I have noticed a direct connection between these two things. It's not just my home, it's my relationships as well. But when my home is clean, it usually means that things are good. Things are going well in my life, in my heart and in my mind. I feel organized, I have the right priorities, I have the right balance, I have margin in my life, emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, whatever it is. But my inner life manifests into my outer life. And so, when my home is clean and things are good in my relationships, it usually means I don't have a lot of this happening inside of my heart. But James is saying, when you notice that you find yourself in the midst of conflict, when you notice that everybody for the last week has seemed to really be a jerk, James is trying to help you understand that maybe the commonality, maybe you know, the common denominator in that equation is what's going on inside of here. Because it gets so easy to become so consumed with all the things that we want. To get busy going about and doing about our daily lives. And to begin to look externally at all of the reasons that life is so difficult. All of the reasons that life is so chaotic. All of the reasons that our current situation is so turbulent. We want to point all of the fingers at all of the people because they're not doing the things that we need them to do. And so we try to spend extra effort and energy to get all of the things to happen the way that we want to happen. And it never seems to slow down. It's like this hamster wheel that just spins and spins and spins and spins in our life. Because all we're trying to do is to get to a place of peace and satisfaction and rest and contentment. And James is saying you're never going to get there until you begin to address what's happening inside your heart. You're never going to be able to do enough. You're never going to be able to work enough, to run enough, to argue enough, to fight enough, to position yourself and jockey enough. There's never going to be enough that you can do in the fight to win the war that's raging inside of your heart. James is holding up a mirror and a magnifying glass to ourselves saying, you've got to look inside first before you look anywhere else. Perfect example of this happened just a couple of weeks ago. 
I was in a disagreement with a friend, and the disagreement started small. It was about some things that were happening in the world and different conclusions that we had about whether or not they should or shouldn't be happening and who was right and who was wrong. And he had a pretty strong opinion on one side, and I had a pretty strong opinion on the other side. And inevitably, as the argument built up and built up, I thought that he was an idiot because of the positions that he had. And so I said as much in different language, and I, you know, at the, some point, there was this threshold. And maybe you find this in some of your relationships. There's this point of no return that you can reach in an argument. There's a point of no return that you can reach in a conflict or disagreement. And you're on the precipice and you're like, ah, should I keep pushing forward? Should I keep moving forward? And part of you is like, no, the relationship matters. Don't say that. That would hurt their feelings. No, don't do that. Don't go past this point because once you do, you're not going to be able to take those words back. And then there's another part of you that's like, yeah, but you're right and they're wrong and you need to win this fight so that they can recognize how smart you are and that your worldview is superior to their worldview. And as we all recognize, none of this ever happens around the Thanksgiving table. And so in this moment when I'm in this external conflict with my friend, what is happening in my heart is one of these things where there's this jockeying positioning for all the different things that I want this desire to be right, this desire to be recognized as smart, this desire to be recognized as superior intellectually about this issue. I wanted him to concede, to raise the white flag and say, gosh, I, I'd never thought about it that way. How come, how come I couldn't get to where you got? Wow, it's been so helpful to have this conversation with you. I need to learn from you more and more and more. And if you're like at home rolling your eyes this morning, listening to me talk about like, God, is that what it's like to be in a friendship with you? Sometimes. I mean, that's just how it goes. I'm not perfect. I'm not standing up here because I'm perfect. I'm standing up here because I recognize how much I need what James has to say in my life. And in this instance, instead of being the pastor and the person who makes all the right choices all the time and stepping back from the conversation, you're like, you know what? Things are getting heated. We need to cool this off a bit. We need to throttle it back. We don't want to say anything that we regret or that we don't mean. I just took a running header right off the cliff and was like, you know what? You're such a if you would only if you could be like and I'm still picking up the pieces of this conflict in this fight with this friend because I cared more about what I wanted in that moment than I did about the relationship. I cared more about being right and out talking somebody or speaking louder than somebody. I disregarded what they needed in the moment. And so all of this external conflict in my life was just a reflection of this internal chaos that I was experiencing. These, this weakness, this need, this insecurity, you know, this uncertainty about whether or not I really am as smart as I think I am or that other people recognize that I have the right ideas or the right opinions about things. James is saying all of this junk that's going on in your life, ultimately you can trace it back to your heart. It's always a heart issue. And because we want things, and because we long for things, and we crave for things, and it could be a whole host of anything that we long for or want or desire or crave, James says we go to really ugly lengths to get it. We don't care who we hurt. We don't care who we cut down. We don't care who we have to step over or the things that we have to do to get what we want. And James is saying, this is a problem. And he goes on and he says, listen, the reason that you don't have these things that you want in your life, the reason that your cravings go unfulfilled, partly is because you don't create any space for God 
He says, you don't have because you don't ask. You don't spend any time in prayer talking to God about the things that you want, about the longings that exist in your heart, about the spaces that need to be filled, about ways that you feel incomplete or unsatisfied in your own life. The things that are bubbling up and murmuring inside of your heart. James is saying there's no relief, there's no solution to any of those things because you don't share any of that with God. That's partly the problem. James says the other problem, though, is you ask and don't have because you ask with selfish intentions and you want to waste it on your own cravings. So there's, there's two issues that we have. We either, we just don't ask and we don't share any of the things that we long for with God or we share them with God, but the, the motivations are totally selfish, selfish and self-serving. There's no room for care or consideration for others and the things that we want. We are so myopic in our own needs and our own cravings and our own desires that God was never going to give you those things anyway because it's only about you in that moment. Now God has created each of us to be relational and relational in two very important ways, relational with God and relational with others. And so what James is saying is when you don't have the cravings of your heart, it's either because you have failed on the relationship with God you haven't asked God what you need. Or it's because when you ask God for what you need, it fails the criteria of your relationship with other people. It's all about you. It's all about what you want. And so James is saying this can't be the way that you move forward. And he criticizes the people and he uses some pretty strong language. He says, you are unfaithful people. You are liars and cheaters on God. You are unfaithful people. And he says, don't you know that friendship with the world means hostility with God? Whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Now, what he's saying here is he's really kind of comparing and contrasting two ways that we can go through life. Now, in previous weeks, we talked about how James draws all of his information. James draws all of his material from two primary sources. One is the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, kind of that list of practical guidance for life, the instructions for living, and his half-brother Jesus. And James kind of marries the two ideas together, and out of it comes James's instructions to Christians. He says, listen, what he's borrowing from in this moment is directly out of Proverbs. He's saying there, there's two kind of ways that you can do this. You can be friends with God, or you can be friends with the world. You can't do both. You have to prioritize. You have to align yourself with one side or the other. James is saying, listen, there are two choices for how you can live your life. One is to do it the way that God's called you to do it. The other way, the other way that you can live is the way that everybody else in the world lives. And the way that everybody else in the world lives looks like the verses that we've just read through. They're consumed by their cravings. They're pushed and pulled by their passions. Their inner life is chaotic. And so their external life stays chaotic. James is saying that's one way that you can go. If you want to be friends with the world, that's what you get. That's what it looks like. It is this chaotic. It is this confusing this contentious place that you live in day in and day out because of all of the warring that's going on in your own desires and in your heart. James said that there's another way though. James points us this other direction. He says, or you can be friends with God. You can pursue things the way that God is calling you to pursue them. And James encourages us towards this path. He says, listen, God longs for our faithfulness. And in the moments when we're unfaithful, James says in verse 6, he gives us more grace. 
James recognizes that it's not all up to ourselves. This isn't something that we have to do with our own efforts and our own merit. It's not about white-knuckling difficult moments in your life if you're a Christian. It's not about ignoring the things that you long for, the things that you might need, the things that you feel pulled to. James is saying in the moments where you feel cravings, in the moments when you feel like you have to have something, there's something that's incomplete inside of you, it's not just gritting your teeth and white-knuckling the wheel and bearing through it. That's not what it looks like to follow God. James is saying that there's a way that you can follow God that leans into God's grace, that leans into the way that God can work in our lives. And he's saying, first, it starts with a relationship with God. It's not about pursuing what you want first. It's about pursuing God first and foremost. And he goes on, he says, this is why it says, God stands against the proud, but favors the humble. God stands against the proud and favors the humble. Now, what, what, what does this mean? James is recognizing that when you live a, a, a humble life, humility creates space for God. Humility says that I am not the end-all, be-all in my life. That what I want, whenever I want it, is not always what's right. That I'm not the smartest in every moment. I'm not the most capable in every moment. There are limitations. There are deficiencies that exist in my life. I'm an imperfect person. That's what humility acknowledges. And when you acknowledge that you are not God of your life, there is space for God in your life. Let me say that again. Humility acknowledges that when you're not God in your life, there is space for God in your life. When you're not the ultimate source for everything, when you don't have to be in control of ensuring that you satisfy every longing and craving in your heart, then there's room for God to work. But the contrast is pride. James is saying God stands against the proud. There's a direct opposition to people who think that they can do it all themselves people who don't leave any room for God to work, who don't care about where God is at the world or where the way, way God wants to work in their world. James is saying God stands against the proud because pride, it doesn't leave any space for God. Humility creates space for God to work. It relies on God. It invites God in to participate in a relationship saying, God, I can't do this by myself. There's a lot of things that I want, that I feel drawn towards, that I crave, that I want to pursue, but I recognize that I can't be the ultimate source for truth in my life. God, I rely on your goodness and on your truth to work in my life. Let me follow you, trusting that you will lead me to life. But Price says, no, nah, I've got it. Get out of the way, God. Jesus, don't take the wheel. I've got this thing. I don't need you. I can do all of this myself. I have all of these cravings, all of these desires, all of these things that I want to pursue, and I'm going to go after them and do whatever I need to do to get what I want because I am in control. And what James is saying is, listen, one of these lives is a chaotic life. The external life is chaotic because the interior life is chaotic. But James is pulling you towards and encouraging us to move towards a different way of life, a way of humility. And that way of humility invites God in to guide and to lead and to be God. And James is saying, this is the way that leads to life. This is the way that leads to peace. It avoids the chaos of being pushed and pulled by our own internal desires. And it leads us to a place of peace and satisfaction and resting in who God says that God is and trusting God's provision for our lives. And so James kind of concludes in verse 8 and he says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You see, there's a promise here. When we pursue God, James says, 
we find God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. When you pursue God, that you will find God. This is probably the most important prayer that I pray in my life. Not because I am so spiritual and so great, but because of how much I need this prayer to be true. And this prayer that I pray is really short. And so maybe this is all that you take away from this morning's sermon. Maybe you didn't really hear anything else and you didn't really understand why I had the Rock'em Sock'em robots out. But you hear this. The life that God is calling us to lead, the way to humility, the way of obedience to God, praise this prayer. God, less of me and more of you. God, less of me and more of you. God, I know that there's a lot of gross stuff happening in my heart and I want all these things. I'm being pushed and pulled by my cravings and my desires. God, less of me. I'm not saying that I have to ignore the feelings. I'm not saying that I have to pretend that they're not there. I'm not saying that I should go without the things that I want sometimes, God, but I'm saying first and foremost in my life, I wanna pursue you. I wanna pursue you and the promise is that I will find you, that you will fill my heart and you will fill my life and I will be filled with your peace. Even if it doesn't satisfy all of the cravings that I have, there's a deeper satisfaction that can be found in a life devoted to God. So God, less of me and more of you. Less of me, more of you. James ends there. Because James recognizes that when we pursue God, we find God. And so the question is for us today, what are we going to pursue? Are we going to pursue the things that we crave and desire most in this life? Are we going to let our passions and our cravings lead and determine the course of our lives? If we do, it's going to lead to a place of chaos. It is going to lead to a place of conflict and of warring and of battling in our relationships and our friendships in our marriage and in our work. So when we leave and live that way, it creates chaos in our life. James is offering us a different path. He's saying, pursue God. Lean into where God is calling you. Trust in him. Place your faith in him and pursue him first. Say, you know what, God? I have a lot of feelings that are going on inside of me. You know what? I'm not really happy about my situation at work and the nature of my relationship with my boss. And God, I would really wish that I could have the promotion because it really feels like I've worked pretty hard and I deserve it. It's acknowledging the things that you feel inside. It's not saying that you have to shut all of those feelings off, but it's giving them to God, saying, God, let me pursue you first and foremost in my life. God, help me understand what my role is in this organization. God, help me understand when is the appropriate time to have the conversations that I need to have in my life. God, I'm struggling right now in my relationship. God, help me understand what the right steps forward are. What's, what's honoring you? What's in line with your will in my life, God? I have a friendship that is struggling, God, and I don't really know how to repair it, God. And it, one way is I could just pers- pretend that I'm always right and that they made all the mistakes and just wait for them to come and apologize. Or I could say, you know what, God? Show me where I erred in this, in this relationship. Show me where I made the mistakes in this friendship and show me the ways that I can begin to repair this friendship. There are two paths we can go down. One that always leads to chaos and another leads to peace. And James is saying, as people of faith, we should be choosing the life and the road that leads to peace. And it begins not by pursuing our cravings, but by pursuing God first and foremost. And so that's my prayer for us as a church, 
that we would be people in the midst of the chaos that we might feel inside, that we would stop, that we would recognize that pursuing those is not the right path, but pursuing God and helping God guide us and inform our decisions and inform our actions and inform our choices. And that ultimately leads to a life of peace. Let's pray for our time together this morning. Gracious and loving God, thank you for today and for the way that you remind us that you are constantly calling us to life, to fullness of life, to a richness of life, to abundant life here and now, God. In the midst of all of the cravings and the longings that we experience, God, help us to pursue you first, to lean into a relationship with you and lean away from our own desires and our own wants and needs knowing that ultimately, God, you fulfill like nothing else can. God, we're grateful. We ask that you bless us this week and our time with our family and friends. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.